I'd like to thank Bet Online for sponsoring this episode. Every weekend when I'm taking a break from researching or writing UFO podcasts, I enjoy watching football. What makes it a little bit more exciting for me is betting on some games and watching as the scores come in through the afternoon. Last minute goals, offside decisions and waiting on one more corner just adds to the drama. Come to think of it, I wonder what the odds are on disclosure by the end of 2023. Well, think no more. Bet Online is an all-in-one gambling site with sports betting, casino games, online poker and esports offering cutting edge technology, enticing promotions and the latest sports betting odds, wide variety of promotions including welcome bonus, reload bonuses, free bets and contests. There's a wide variety of banking options including 12 cryptocurrencies and the live betting feature allows you to bet on your favourites quickly and easily and in real time. Claim your welcome bonus and get started with a bang. Register today and grab your exclusive welcome bonus to start your sportsbook betting journey. Go to promotions.betonline.ag slash that UFO dash one zero nine three two zero to receive a fifty percent bonus on your first deposit up to one thousand dollars. Claim your welcome bonus, use my special link in the description. I'd like to thank Zen AI for sponsoring this episode. One of my biggest pain points making the podcast is just how many different bits of software I need to use to produce all the different bits of content that I want. Making a podcast isn't just about recording the interview anymore. It involves getting the best clips, making sure it sounds and looks as good as possible and everything in between. Jumping from A to B to C all takes time and effort. Zen AI from Zencaster just made my life a whole lot easier. Find your best moments and go viral. Let Zen AI's groundbreaking AI work its magic. It automatically identifies the most engaging segments in your recording and transforms them into captivating clips ready for social sharing. You may have seen me sharing some more clips around recently. That's what I've been using and I'm still getting used to it, but it's a fantastic bit of software. You can also elevate your audio quality. Zen AI identifies viral segments removes filler words and enhances clarity through noise removal, levelling and gating. Your content will sound sensational and engaging. Go to zen.ai, Z-E-N dot A-I and use my code THATUFO and you'll get 12% off your first month of your Zen AI subscription. Ready to transform your content, experience effortless clipping and create impactful social media moments today. This is Leslie Kane, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and this is a breaking news podcast breakdown special edition thing, um, because, (laughs) (laughs) because there was some breaking news overnight or during the day, depending on where you're based. We'll try and get this out as quickly as possible. So it is breaking news and didn't happen seven weeks ago. Uh, Dan, joining me for it. Yeah. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. No spoilers. The breaking news is clearly the Wales won their first game of the World Cup of the rugby. So uh, well done to them. And it's amazing what animals can do these days if they put put their mind to it, isn't it? Um, But no, do you know what? Um, First off, before we talk about the breaking news and a little rundown, something we didn't mention last week on the breakdown and absolutely should have was Calvin Parker uh, passing away. I think we just very quickly, um, it's it's been over a week now, but um, Calvin Parker, famously of the Pascagoula incident where he was abducted along with Charlie Hickson, um, 
Calvin, Mr. Parker, was very kind to come on the show in the very early days, told a story. It's available any number of places for people to go and check that out. Um, a lot of books have been written about it too. Um, very famous abduction experience from back now in the 60s. It was very old. He had been ill for a couple of years with various health complications, uh, including cancer. And uh, yeah, he passed away very sadly early September. Not unexpectedly, Dan. He, like I say, he was very ill. Um, it's a very well-told and well-known story. If people weren't sure of it i recommend they go and check that one out but just one of those kind of sad moments that happens in, in the ufo topic or community same with anything where a little bit of the past or the lore or myth is kind of gone um and that's that is now resigned almost to history no more calvin parker yeah. um stories just one of those i think the the cheesy i hope he's got the answers now kind of thing comes out but i'm sure wherever mr parker's gone to um, he does. He does know. Um, and yeah, what's what's your thoughts on the whole Pascagoula story? It's a really intriguing story, but like you say, unfortunately, now it's consigned to history. It's one of these not not quite myths because you know Calvin did some amazing work when he was alive, kind of telling the stories. He saw it, and he was always very gracious and very kind to people. So he he is a figure that will be missed. And just for the record, every time I think of the Calvin photo, I think mm. Calvin. So he will live on forever in my mind as, as part of that case too. Yeah, and I think we talk about maybe up until the advent of social media and the internet and blogs and podcasts and more access to documentaries, all that kind of stuff. It was one of the go-to pieces, wasn't it, for, for many folks? Betty and Barney Hill, Pascagoula, the, the Travis Walton abductions. There was, a, there was a group, a staple of them that people would talk about and discuss and it would be well known. And, and his was one of them. Um, so yeah, definitely very sad that uh, lost Mr. Parker from the UFO community. Just a reminder to kind of appreciate folks as and when they're here um, because th- there is such a, a wealth of knowledge or experience amongst a contingent, an elderly contingent of the UFO community that you never know how much longer people are going to have. Um, so yeah, all, all the best to, to the Parker family um, and, and everyone else out there. That's, that's such a good point as well that we need to remember that, you know, whatever's happening now, the legislation, the amazing moves that are being made, you know, the progress that we've seen, it's all happening because we're standing on the shoulders of people like Calvin, you, you know, others that passed away, uh, you know, Stanton Friedman, various other just giants in this subject. So, you know, th- thank you to those guys and we'll continue what we do in, in their name and, you, you know, hopefully we'll get somewhere one day. Yeah, um, overnight, uh, as I discuss this, it's what, just coming up 1pm here on the 11th of September 2023. Uh, David Grush, um, I'm going to say out of nowhere because I didn't see anything coming that David was planning any more discussions, interviews, and it kind of gone quiet for a while. Most folk yeah. were wondering where he'd maybe went. So yeah, so th- not just me then, Dan, it seems. Um, an interview dropped with uh, Jesse Michaels of the American Alchemist podcast. I'd seen this a couple of times before, not one I watched regularly just because I've got too much on. Um, but I think Gary Nolan was one I'd seen previously who had done. And um, it's in association with the Yes Theory podcast. That seems to be quite a big one, like 8 million subscribers. Uh, Jesse Michaels, American Alchemist, has a couple 100,000 or so. Um and dropped out of nowhere, and I think a few people I've seen had commented, Dan, and even you were kind of saying to me beforehand, it seems an odd place for him to pop up. 
out of yeah, out of Canapa. surprising to go from the hearings to a YouTube channel. And no shade of Jesse, you know, he he's great at what he does. Like all of his videos have been outstanding, but just a surprising change. But but you elaborated for me on that. So yeah, I mean, like you, I kind of thought he's going to appear on Fox, CNN, maybe a big news nation follow up, something like that. Next time we see him, given everything that was going on in the background. But um, as is discussed at the beginning of what's almost a two hour piece with Jesse Michaels. Um, a, two-hour documentary almost, to be honest. It's not really a yeah. sit-down interview with David Grush. Um, is that Jesse Michaels got to know David Grush around two years ago through a mutual friend who served in the Air Force with David, and that's how they've got this relationship. So it's not just out of nowhere that he sat down with a random guy. He sat down with a very well-known podcaster, an interviewer, um, in association with another big channel, and they've managed to put this this piece together Um so yeah, one thing I will say just to clear up, and to be fair, uh, Jesse Michaels did post that this was the first long form interview David Grush has done. That's not fair because Ross Coulter absolutely can lay claim to that from from back when. With there's more still to be released on that, I know, but um, it was definitely Ross Coulter. Um, the the piece itself around an hour and fifty minutes. It's not just Jesse sitting with David. For anyone who's not managed to watch it yet, I'll put the link in the description as well. I very much recommend it, but it's a repackaging of some previous interviews there's a lot of david sitting with jesse there is some scene jumping where they're in various different venues different cars uh, different uh, backgrounds and settings and they're having various different conversations so unexpected definitely worth watching nicely packaged i've got to say uh, the documentary not david or jesse you know um so yeah it's, it's a lovely looking <laughs> and well-produced piece um the intro the intro, the happenings, the happen. Oh my god! The intro, the happenings. I actually wrote that as a as a couple of words together. The the intro, the happenings, dude. Um, the, the happenings is like a really bad version of that Mark Wahlberg movie. Yeah, or maybe the a, good version. Or that could be the sequel. <laughs> yeah. The happening, um, the happening. Yeah, the happenings. Um, because more than one thing happened. Um, but it, it seemed to me like it was put together. Imagine what Ross Coulthard done. And that that bigger piece with Ross uh, with David Grush initially, but for a younger audience, that millennial Gen Z kind of short, snappy flashes of information, almost like a thread. You know, you could be scrolling through it if it was in thread form, um, and that's the way it kind of comes across to me. It's for a younger generation. The intro, what happened with the hearings? Maybe folks who got to see a little glimpse of it on the news or a glimpse of it on social media, but didn't dig into the details. This is them putting the details out there and getting through quite a lot of questions, to be fair to Jesse as well. A lot of good ones were on there too. I, um, I like um, Jesse's context, the way that he jumps away from the interviews. So mm. when they're talking about things, you know, like people way back when they might have been involved or some lofty ideas yes. like multidimensional shadows and things. Jesse just a way to kind of explain those things in, in simpler terms. Um, so you get the context as you're watching. So this, at least for me, you know, I'm only halfway through it, but if someone didn't want something as dry as the hearings to watch and they wanted yeah. to see everything that David had to say in a comfortable setting, this would be the first thing I'd give them probably along with that Ross interview. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean to be fair, that it's not just a sit down interview it's like you say it's spliced it's put together well as a package you could almost put this together in what 15 or 20 7 to 8 minute bite sized chunks on a channel and do episode 1 episode 2 episode 3 and, and digest it that way the way it's going to be on TikTok it'll, that, yeah. that'll happen on TikTok for sure oh, 100% <laughs> yeah um so just to dive through some of the points that are made he, he mentions David Grush mentions he was aware um that he could have been been lied to um 
that's that's fair enough. It, he goes back though a few times to the fact that what really nailed this down for him, whether or not he was privy to more photographic evidence, video evidence, whatever that may be, he doesn't say. But he does say it was the 40 witnesses that he spoke to and their seriousness, their credibility, how uncomfortable many of them were discussing what they were discussing. The, you know, the, the football field sized objects they were discussing. It wasn't natural phenomena. You know, it wasn't a light phenomena they were witnessing at 40,000 feet. You know, yeah. there was some real tangible stuff to what they were saying. And for him, that's what was, wow, there, there's something to to this. And, um, and that was his expectation as well, wasn't it? He, he says that he yeah. expected these things to be prosaic, to be natural phenomena. And the more people he spoke to, the more it just hit him across the face that something else was happening. And he made sure here to, to emphasize that these witnesses were independently referred. It wasn't mm-hmm. like he went to the IG and said, these are the transcripts of my interviews with them. This is all you're getting the IG interviewed these people themselves. Yeah. These people yeah. didn't all know each other either. So there's a lot of disconnect here. You know, this isn't just as someone like Green Street would like to have us imagine. This isn't just the same group of people talking again about this stuff. There are people that we haven't heard of here to- talking about these programs. Yeah. And One the, thing, the, they did. The, the human side of David Grush comes out throughout the interview. I think you see a lot more of playful being the right word i'm yeah. not sure more like that this is the guy is, yeah this is the guy that goes to the shops and buys you know his bread and milk this is the guy who who gets the bus gets a taxi gets a train you know sits on his phone checking nfl results i don't know <laughs> that's the, the more human side of things sure. um which i think is a good way to present it alongside the way ross coulthart has um and, and you make a fair point though about the the 40 people not all being the same group because i get why sometimes the way information can be presented, especially on social media in bite-sized chunks, that people could be forgiven for thinking everyone's talking to Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, and a couple of other people every single time they talk about the UFO subject behind closed doors. And if that was the case, that's not good for the UFO topic because you need it to not be the same couple of people. That, that, that could be how a narrative gets forced. And that's why people could be biased or for or against that group. Yeah. But he's quite right to point out, you know, these folks didn't all know each other. Maybe he did speak to Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo and Hal Putoff and Steve Justice and Christ Tom DeLong, right? But he's then saying, I went and spoke to a load of other folks who didn't know each other, who were nothing to do with each other, who told me these amazing, incredible things. Some of it related, some of it not so related. So yeah, it clears all that up quite nicely. You see the splicing of clips from uh, Ross Coulthard's News Nation piece, Marco Rubio's stuff that he done on News Nation as well. Um, he mentions talking about organizations or three-letter agencies, FBI, CIA, etc., NSA. Other three-letter organizations are available out there, folks. Um, but the reason they let him talk about crash retrievals and whatnot is because he goes to them and says, you know, is it the DOPSA request? Here's what I want to talk about. And they say he can, because if he didn't, then they're going to be declining or redacting him talking about certain things, and that can look worse for them. Um, so... That makes sense. But do you know what? In hindsight, Dan, devil's advocate, it's probably a good thing for those organizations to let him because look at the reaction. I reckon, see if you went back a few months and mentioned this was all going to come out with David Grush, uh, a lot of folks would say these organizations would never let someone come out and talk about crash retrieval programs. They wouldn't allow it if they were asked. But they have been asked and they have allowed it. 
and there is no huge backlash. There is no storming of Area 51 again. You know, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base hasn't been battered down. It was just a story that came into the news cycle and went again. So I think a lot of folks who clamour that disclosure's here, the toothpaste out the tube, it's not going away. Here, Here's a guy talking about crash retrievals. And remember, we had the big debate at the time about if the New York Times did publish a story on crash retrievals, how huge that would be. Well, actually, here's here's a guy on the mainstream news talking about crash retrieval programs. And is it having that huge impact that some folks thought that conversation would? Not really, no. But I think that has its good points and its bad points. Is that fair? I'm rambling a bit. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on. I went for a walk on the beach a few days back and there was a, a guy there who, who was selling coffee. And we just got chatting because he saw like the alien badge on my bag and we just got chatting. And he kind of, with the, the conversation got into discussing, you know, why isn't the world on fire considering the revelations that David Grush shared? And his opinion, and I told him he was spot on, is that the, the, the slow rollout seems to be to get to a point where people are shrugging, where they don't care, where, like we say, they can still go to work and do their nine to five tomorrow. They can still, you know, get the train. They can still pay their bills, look after their kids, so on and so forth. This whole subject has the potential to completely turn everybody's lives 180. But I feel like it's being managed is probably the wrong word, but it's being slowly told as a story so that we can just become acclimatized to it, kind of like a lobster in a boiling pot or like what happens in contact, you know? Um, and Unless the aliens show up the day after disclosure when everyone thinks said and done, life just goes on and we just have to, you know, have that knowledge inside us that we are we are not alone. Um, but that, that knowledge has a profoundly different impact if we're not alone and they're here amongst us all the time and we see them in the sky all the time, you know, as opposed to we're not alone and they never come here. You know, when you said about your, I was walking on the beach a few days ago, I thought you were about to slate my long-winded response there and tell me <laughs> that you came back from the walk and I was still talking. Um, <laughs> no, would, no such thing. Would not have been unfair. Um, <laughs> and, but you know what? You know, you mentioned like the, the aliens showing up the day after disclosure. We've touched on this a few times recently as well. But a couple of days after that, you're still going to have to go to the shop, you know, and, and get some supplies in, you know. Um, you're still going to have to get public transport places. And how long can that... Yeah, but the aliens are here. How how long would that actually disrupt society for? Yeah. You know, like, say, say there was a contact or arrival, sorry, I'm thinking arrival type scenario where a few ships landed at different places randomly on the globe. Your People's bosses still expect them in work tomorrow, probably, because the new iPhone launch is happening, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's wild. Aliens are here, but it's I interesting, think... isn't it? It's going to be a really interesting process to go through to see what people are like uh, in and around it on the other side. Um, this this human reaction is something that is becoming more and more important as we go forward in the conversation, but it's not the forefront yet. And and I feel it, it is at some point. This is going to be everything the conversation kind of orbits around. So uh, I like the pun orbits around gravitate <laughs> gravitates towards anti gravitates yeah um so we see the question from an audience member uh again it, it jumps about a little bit not in a haphazard way but it makes sense uh, you see different settings like i mentioned uh david grush really interestingly had taken part in a focus group with uh 
a lot of younger audience members. Yeah, I, don't, I saw that. Yeah, I don't mean like seven-year-old kids. That you know, um, but they're all like kind of late teens, early twenties looking. I'm guessing sure. from from what we saw. Um, and we see a question from one audience member, and she asks about why the topic basically is kept so secret. And David Grush says uh, he he can only think you've got to get into the mindset of the folks who were in charge of this, but going back decades. He includes people like Oppenheimer, um, obviously big name at the minute because of the movie, um, the the Manhattan Project, nuclear materials going back to the 40s and 50s were being created, discovered, invented, stored in new ways, being used in different ways. And a lot of the legislation and, and rules that were basically set at that time covered any potential recovered alien craft without having to say it because it was basically any material that gave off like a radiation essentially is touched on um and i think there's a lot of ways and this was a point i was going to make before this came up so i was glad it did there's a lot of ways we live our lives now based on rules and governance that was put in place 40 50 60 70 years ago hundreds if not thousands of years ago anyway so is it really that strange or big a secret that the way the UFO topic's being handled now is because of the way it was set up back in the 40s and 50s because there's a lot of stuff that we go by. And I might be totally wrong on this. This is one people will very quickly correct me on, I'm sure. But I was told years ago that the reason, like, weed, for example, is so, like, bastardised by governments and hemp as a product is because paper at the time was a huge, huge business and hemp came along as a potential replacement for things like paper. And the paper mills and industries were so powerful, they managed to get the governments to basically make hemp illegal. And that's why that carried on for decades and decades down the line that, you know, weed, CBD oil, the way we have to do all that kind of stuff. It's such big business now. And slowly being walked back is because of something that happened because of the way paper was made back in the day. Yeah. So I've probably bastardized that a little bit, but that's something that still has an impact now, 70, 80, 90 years later. And then you you blow that up to the UFO conversation and why that's still being kept secret. It, it makes a bit of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, with with cannabis, like you say, the the emphasis on emphasis is on you know it's bad because of X Y Z. People forget the reason that it was bad. They just remember that it was bad. They remember the propaganda, what it was associated with. You you know the the devil's lettuce, as they used to call it. Um, whereas nowadays we understand it a bit more, and the conversation is changing. But even though some places in America have legalized it and it's perfectly okay, the rest of the world still isn't caught up with that, right? And they might never be. You know, every every country is going to have its own opinion on it. So the reason that it was banned has like fallen away to amnesia. And we've just got a whole generation, like multiple generation, decades of generations of people who just live with the knowledge that it's bad because it's bad. Um, so then you kind of have this institutionalized memory that takes a while to shake. And, you know, we're looking 40, 50 years and it's still tough to shake. So like you say, rack that up, uh, you know, exponentially when we're looking at a UFO conversation that you know, how, how do you roll this out? <laughs> I, I wouldn't like, well, I would love to be at the table where you figure out how to piecemeal it and kind of roll it out and talk about it. But at the same time, I wouldn't like that job, you know? Yeah. Speaking of rolling it up and rolling it out, Dan, I'd like to thank <laughs> uh, Dan CBD for sponsoring this episode, folks, you know, uh, no, um, just joking. Uh, thinking back, though, he mentions at the time, the 40s and 50s were a time of like huge discoveries in the world of physics and nuclear fission and the atom bomb, all that stuff was, was happening at the time. And it seemed there were massive leaps in thinking 
and theoretical physics and, and all that stuff that I'm not qualified to talk about. And I've got down here, made huge leaps in physics, discoveries, new technologies. Operation Paperclip has touched on that we took all those Nazi scientists and went, oh, you've done some really bad stuff, but you're really clever. So we are going to stick you in this program and let you off with that. And part, part of it, just to jump in there, part of it was that the Russians were going to take them to work on their stuff. Yeah. So it was like either they have it or we have them. And I say yeah. we, America has them. So you're between a rock and a hard place with that decision, right? Yeah. And do you think even then, if the Russians weren't going to take them, that the US wouldn't have done that anyway? Oh, probably no doubt. Like you, so the mega, mega genius guys that are really made this difficult for us yeah we'll have you on our side and <laughs> say no more about it um and that's touched on in the secret machine stuff and everything yes, as well it's, it it's all well known i would love to know some of the, a bit of an aside but some of the stuff that we don't learn from history because you know because of because the allies won the war sure. you don't hear about the other stuff that may or may not have gone on so interesting but yeah i think my point being that was a snapshot in time that I think really defined where we are now, maybe even more so than the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and this period we're in at the moment, that that how things went there. Not that drafted, a bit of COVID brain still, folks. Sorry, I'm not concentrating. Um, only the second time I've had it, some listener had a dig about how many times I've had COVID, and I was like, it's been twice. Um, but, <laughs> is, this, is it a competition now? <laughs> yeah, I was like, ah, oh, it's like uh, twice as far as I know. Um, but, the point I want to get on to from that was David Grush says that, and a speculative point, but an interesting one, that a non-human intelligence may be at a similar place to us in terms of development. Maybe we, we don't need to assume that they're so much more advanced than us, just that at a point in their development where we went down the nuclear weapons path, they found or created or discovered this propulsion system and that kind of split maybe a timeline or that was their timeline and that's the path they went down here's where we went down and that you know maybe for us it's just they're not that much more developed but they have they have something that makes them appear that much more developed what what are your thoughts on that because i think that opens yeah. up a whole spider web conversation it, it reminds me of so gunpowder as we know it was around for a long time before anyone thought of pouring it in a barrel and using it to, to fire a projectile, a small projectile at someone that would pierce their skin. Um, the Chinese used it in warfare. It, it was kind of called something else and it was used to kind of spread fire across the water and things like that very quickly. So even though that jump was already made, they hadn't kind of realized the potential for that particular technology to, you know, make a handheld weapon and so on and so forth. So I totally understand what David's getting at there when, when he talks about that, you know, we can have these technologies on our doorstep and still not realize that there's a, a facet of them that we're not using yet until we do. Um, you've also got to think about, and this plugs into the whole, you know, Abby Loeb thing, when we're talking about species that are perhaps from another universe or dimension, they're going to have different materials to work with. So the rules that we have to abide by, you know, using the resources we have around Earth to, to build our technology um, and discover things, they might have a different set of those that will lead them to a different technological path. Um, and I like to think of it, you, you know, anyone that's grew, grew up playing video games, uh, you, you always have those, you know, you'll gather your points from battling and then you'll kind of choose different paths to go down, whether you want to be like a mage or a healer or a warrior and you'll, you know, you'll trace those trees. Um, 
And then you always end up going back and kind of filling out the rest of them, but it takes you a little while. You've got to make that initial choice. So this is essentially what David is saying. And another facet of this that that I find fascinating is that we've always spoken about sound being a technology, you know, resonance being a technology that we've never really tapped into on a, on a really kind of minute scale. Um, and when you think about the ideas of the people who built the pyramids levitating blocks and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, if, if we had sound of vibration instead of fire, what would the world look like today? What would we be doing with that? Um, it seems that nature has a number of different paths we can go down. You, you know, life form doesn't need to develop in exactly the same way. The people that live on Zeta Reticuli aren't rocking an iPhone 52. You know, that's just not, it, there's not one path to go down. So it, it's really fascinating to, to think about it. And especially when we get to multidimensional life and what, you know, what 4D life form would look like or a 2D life form would look like um, and the kind of resources they have to play with. Because even something as basic as electricity wouldn't work in 2D because mm. the physics would be different because it can't travel in the same way. Um, so there are a lot of implications depending on what theory they think uh, is the best theory to apply to the visitors. And, and again, that's assuming that there's only one set of visitors. So it could be a whole a whole bunch of monkeys in a whole different circus. Yeah, and you think even if something develops somewhere that they communicated telepathically and that that was it some kind of hive mind and they say they could still come down here and got the iphone 15 launches tomorrow right or on the 12th as we discussed this dan they could come down here you know come out and see this piece of technology and actually think it's really cool they could be like wow that's something we've actually never had a need for because of how we communicate yeah but that's actually a wonderful piece of technology that's that's amazing we've never had to think of that you know the way it works is fascinating to us we'd love to know more and we're going oh yeah well my, my seven-year-old has one you know but they're like, <laughs> that's just that that could just blow their mind and it's just been something as a civilization yeah. they go ah oh, there could be all kinds of stuff that we do have that for all they have mastered or we think we assume they've mastered we don't know they've mastered it but this propulsion system is literally what we pin on because i think of all the other things we hear about in ufo lore there's a lot less evidence for certain things even the medical procedures you know people talk about all kind of stuff being done we don't know that it's just a, a different form of anesthetic that's stopping people feeling any of these operations you know um a lot of that stuff could be done by humans as well yeah. But the, the propulsion system is the one big thing, isn't it, that really seems to separate whatever may be visiting or how they visit us from from them, us and them. That's that's the big one. Yeah. That's, um, I was going to mention, oh, David Grush on that does talk about how the craft may move. And this isn't a new theory. We've discussed this before on the pod, Dan, so we've done it first, David Grush. Bite me. Uh, no. <laughs> first long-form discussion of yeah. propulsion. <laughs> yeah, and someone else is going to go, oh, I heard that on a podcast before. Of course you did. Everything's been done by the Simpsons, for God's sake. But it, he, men- he mentions how the craft move, and they talk about the juddery movements. And Jesse Michaels talks about that idea that you fold space-time, and maybe because it's jumping from A to B, that jumping point is why it looks like it's skipping uh, that's been discussed before by various different folks. Yeah. I like the 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 idea of an accordion. I think it was Jesse Michaels mentioned that if you flatten out an accordion, or it might have been David Grush, then imagine an object moving across the flattened out accordion. It would go from A to B in a linear fashion really smoothly. But if you put the accordion back up so it's got the ridges, these objects, because of the bubble, created ride a wave. And now imagine it's bumping along that wave. Now the object won't feel the bumping, 
But if you were viewing an object that was manipulating space-time in a certain way, God, I'm going to clip this to make myself sound intelligent, but I'm just repeating what I heard, um, you would potentially see it like stuttering and jumping or being jittery in its movement. Yeah. And that's something that's been discussed quite a lot. And um, but he's not totally adverse to that, David Grush, as a, oh, yeah, maybe it's this. And I, I got the feeling he was talking about stuff that he's seen without going into that or breaking any NDAs. Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes me think of Lou's demonstration with the paper. He's done that on a few podcasts where he, you know, basically demonstrates the same point as you just made. Um, we have the Kenneth Arnold site in that it was reported that the the flying, uh, I was going to say discs, but they weren't discs. Um, the the flying vehicles that he saw seemed to skip like stones on a pond. Um, and yeah, that would that would fit the bill again. You, you know, um, aerial all, all school movement. That yeah, the aerial school. Was that the the object was stationary and it had landed, but they felt the the beings were almost like glitching or yes. resetting, and you wonder if you're viewing something through some sort of bubble, which is warping the space time around it that could be a reason for that, that even though it's sitting still, it looks like it's sitting still to us, but it's not. Yeah. And and you can extrapolate there as well. You know, we, we've heard that if you're 50 feet on one of these things, you'll get sunburn, you know, like the guy looking at the truck in, in close encounters. If you're closer, you'll get radiation sickness and poisoning and things yeah. like that. If you were inside the time bubble and time's dilating, you're going to experience missing time. So there, there's like another thing you can extrapolate from that, that, you know, fits the bill for, for the UFO law. Um, you know, missing time might not be something intentional. It's just, well, we're in this bubble outside of your time space. So when you step in here, an hour passes in here and three days have passed back home for you. Um, so the time's missing, but it's not not really, you, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and this gets to that kind of higher dimensional stuff again, where David likes the phrase multidimensional shadows, which essentially, like, we're, we're talking about the same stuff, that if something was in a higher dimension and it came through our little bit of, you know, ocean, all we would see is this thin slice of it. The shape that it makes wouldn't be a true representation of what it was. And similarly, mm. if we went down to the 2D level, you know, there's no thickness in 2D, whereas we have thickness. Um, so you'd only see, like, these thin slices of us. Um, you know, our bodies wouldn't be protected in that dimension kind of thing because you could just you know, hop over a wall and be inside the Andy's stomach, for example, <laughs> with no trouble God, at all. Terrifying um, thought. So they, there, are, there are biological differences and physical differences and physics differences depending on what dimensions we're in. And that probably dictates and gives different paths of technologies to, to be developed. I've not seen the last kind of 20 minutes or so yet just because of time constraints. But one of the last things I wanted to bring up was David Grush explains that he wants to do the bare minimum to propel disclosure. He isn't the guy that's out there to break everything to everybody. And he says it's not his job to release the more important details. And he continues by saying that there is, quote unquote, some baggage is coming in relation to the non-human biologics he previously mentioned. So speculate all day with that one. Are we looking at uh, a different ancestry than we previously thought? Are we looking at some kind of manipulation of the human DNA or genome? What, what do you think he's getting at there? I can only assume that he's he's talking about any kind of pilots that we found in these yeah. craft, whatever they are. Um, you, you know, he's being very vague with the term there, and I, I don't think that's an accident. Um, I don't think it's a kind of, error. I'm going to say biologics because I don't want to give the game away. I think it's more, I'm going to say biologics because we truly don't know this is one of the big question marks. Yeah. You, you know, if we saw a being that to us looked like a robot, does that mean there is a robot without sentience? No, not necessarily. A, a more advanced life could, could have made 
perfectly legitimate AI. Um, so I think this is where the baggage term comes in as well. You know, when we talk about things like biological samples and mm-hmm. AI and things like that, there's baggage with those terms for us, just like there was UFO when we changed to UAP so we could kind of get a little more wiggle room to kind of talk about these things. I, I feel like that's what he's getting at there. Anything else that you've caught up or you want to touch on with that interview? Because like I say, I've still got 20 minutes or so to watch, but um, it's doing some nice jobs for me overall of of recapping where we've been, a nice jumping in point for a younger generation, certainly. Don't let that put you off if you're, if you're sitting there like me in your late 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever it may be. I think it's definitely worth going and, going and checking out because you'll hear some opinions and you definitely get a different side to David Grush than what we had yeah. previously. That, I mean, that that was the immediate impact it had on me was David seems happy. He seems relaxed, totally different version of him that we've seen in the past. He, you know, when he was talking to Ross, when he was talking at the hearing, um, he did great jobs in both those instances. But he just feels a little more looser. I guess Jesse went to his neck of the woods. So, you know, he's at home. So it's where he should be relaxed. Um, the, the other thing that David mentioned, well, two things. So one, he said he has no info on Lazar. I know people have kind of asked that and they connect the two things. David doesn't know. He doesn't, you know, he's not privy to any information on that front. Um, as well as that, uh, he presents the idea that time is not linear as we perceive it. Um, and that kind of plugs into what we were talking about. Um, but also, you know, lets us know that this kind of, you know, I wake up in the morning, I have breakfast, the clock ticks one second forward at a time. That's our experience of the universe. And it doesn't have to be the only experience of the universe. There's nothing to say that, uh, you know, a different species wouldn't experience time going backwards or, you know, and think that perfectly natural. Um, We have flies that see time differently. You know, when you go to swat a fly and it moves, it's not because it's really fast and reacts fast. It's because you're moving slower to it. It's experiencing a a higher uh, flicker rate is what we would call it. So it kind of sees things slower. So that's a different experience of time right there. So that's just another thing we take for granted that we kind of go, yeah, you know, time just ticks forward. And actually, you know, it, it would be quite quite a thing for science to properly understand and grok that, you know, no time can run forwards and backwards and it cannot run at all if you don't want it to. Um, you know, we think of it as a fundamental when it seems to not be. I've had some fights with flies and science recently, given the heat wave we're having here in the UK. And anytime you open a window or door, they are invading properties. So, yeah. Um, and when I was ill last week, it was not the best situation to be oh, in. So, <laughs> I was going to swear there, but bloody flies. <laughs> bloody flies. But buzz off. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, no nice segue onto that one. Um, Danny Sheehan has announced a new group. There's been a couple of groups formed recently. Um and I can't help but think we hear in the past about, you know, different ways of attacking the UFO subject has been mentioned by the aforementioned Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon and co that they've, they've kind of separated and they're doing things differently and they're still attacking the same object. And Danny Sheehan, who uh, Lou, Elizondo, Lou Elizondo's lawyer, um, famously from a couple of years ago, very involved in the UFO topic now for a few decades. Um, he set up a group called the New Paradigm Institute. I'm not I'm not wowed and bowled over by the name Dan straight away because it just sounds very 2001 to me and sure. yeah do you get that it, it was what's better, the name better than but, the previous name which was something like society for the betterment of humankind with regard to extraterrestrial visit you know it was just a long one that sounds like <laughs> the it would be a book and on the cover would be a white guy in a white suit with his hands held out <laughs> open 
um, with like a four or five <laughs> double barreled name. Yeah. Um, yeah, talk, I think so. Talking he, about could the he have an orb in his hand. Absolutely. <laughs> an orb, um, a scale, and some triangular craft behind them. Yeah. <laughs> I get loads of emails from folks, and it's lovely of them to get in touch with me, but with a very religiously heavy lean on this guy is in touch with these beings they would we'd love for you to have him on your show and i'm always like thank you but i'll there's other folks that'll chat to them um but yeah so the new paradigm institute essentially set up to investigate and oversee the ufo phenomenon if you boil down their their goals aims and, and what they're looking to do foster discussions on philosophical theological and sociological questions related to potential et life importantly i think dan collaborate with the u.s congressional office tasked with investigating ufos working on tasks outlined in senate bill 4503 dan that's one of your favorite bills i know um 4503 yeah 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 (laughs) Uh i can imagine um seeks answers to questions about non-human intelligence in the galaxy from diverse human perspectives Develop a new worldview acknowledging the existence of non-human intelligence and disseminate this new worldview to universities, religious institutions, governments, and people worldwide. All and what, day's work. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's before breakfast. Um, <laughs> the, talk, the, the clock ticks forward one second at a time, Dan. Um, what are your thoughts then on, on this group, Danny Sheehan being involved, putting this together? What, what's to come? Uh, right now, I'm, I'm grateful for anything like this that comes forward but I'm like, what, what's it going to achieve? Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? It's These groups are great, but what are they going to do for the subject to, to advance the conversation? And actions speak louder than words. You know, you can throw a website together really quickly and you can announce a group, but what people actually do is different. So it seems that Danny is, has been using this to inform the legislation that's currently going through Congress. Yeah. Um, and in that legislation, there's a, a part of it where it specifies there has to be a, a nine-person panel that's independent of the government that will review everything. Basically, the buck will start with them with UAP-related information. Um, Danny, as well as writing you know, that legislation and helping that, um, that group has also specified by a different name in there. You know, I think they're called the UAP Committee. Um, but they will basically get input into who gets to be on that independent panel. It doesn't mean they get to choose the people. But it means they will get input to kind of say this person shouldn't be there, this person should be there, and they'll be advising, it seems, the executive, which is the president's office, on uh, which people to pick. That's kind of a big deal, you know, to think of someone like Danny Sheehan advising Biden and his team as to who should be on an independent UAP committee. But again, I want to see this happen. You know, I want to see that process taking place, and I want to see what it looks like. Um, you mentioned earlier towards the end of the Grush stuff that he said, you know, he wants to reveal the minimum amount possible to get this move in. And we have to remember this, that Grush and these guys, their loyalty is to the US government. So as much as we want to know everything, they're not going to tell us everything because they're, you know, they've signed up. They're happy to to keep something secret in the name of national security and things like and that. He did, he did make the point in that piece with Jesse Michaels that, you know, treason is still punishable by execution. Yep. And I'm sure he would rather not be executed. So he's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Enough, yep. Yeah. Look, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't keep you warm and cozy when you're being executed to, to know that you told the truth, you, you know, um, but UFO guy to... 48706 on Twitter. I'll be really happy that you've done it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's hey, UFO guy 48706 is, is the guy that's going to change this conversation. <laughs> True. That's one of your burner accounts, isn't it? That's uh, yeah. Um, 
but again, I think it's early days with this group being set up. We've seen many like this being done in the past. We hear about it potentially happening. And like you say, a website gets thrown up and then it falls away. Um, there is a, a section where one, you can donate and two, you can volunteer, which is good to see that it's not just a money grab to, you know, give us money. It's you will if you can't, then you can volunteer your services, yeah. which is an option. So um link will be in the description for that as well. Um similarly, dissimilarly, it's another group being set up, but uh Timbershet has set up a caucus team who that is basically essentially looking for follow-up information from the Inspector General on crash retrieval programs. The way that looked to me is that that group, which I believe had uh, Representative Luna and a couple of others along with it as well from from the hearings. They're just a bit concerned at maybe the lack of not impact but follow up, and yeah. they want to maybe see something actually happening off the back of those hearings, and are just trying to kind of bang a different drum a little bit. Um, I know yeah. there was comments made by Timbershet recently that he was concerned or worried this could still all go away. That's something I think we've fairly discussed on this before as well, Dan, as well as many others. That if you're along the lines of this is all out now, it's never going away. That's probably the wrong attitude to have because. There has been progress on this before, and it's been been got been got rid not gotten rid of. And the way human society works, this day and age, Western society anyway, with the twenty four hour news cycle, which I think the twenty four hour news cycle is maybe even a bit old hat. It's probably a couple of hour news cycle these days. Something comes and goes, doesn't it? With yeah. the, the advent of a hashtag. Um and that is all we have time for on the show. That's Dan's buzzer. Just <laughs> um, I can ignore that. No, no, you're all right. Side. It's Dan's Amazon parcels coming. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's the the chance that it could just fizzle out. Because like you say, if if there's not the foot being kept on the pedal, then these stories can just wither away. No one's been ringing up me like they were the day after the David Grish hearings to ask for interviews or comments on it. It's gone. You don't hear it discussed on the BBC anymore or Sky News. Um, I don't think this interview will get the attention that the the hearings and the Ross Coulthard stuff got. But I don't think this is what that whole David Grush piece was for either. That was obviously aimed at a younger audience online, social media. Great. Um, so there is still that concern or worry that whoever does want this to go away, they could still get their wish. And I think it's important that if these different movements and groups are going to be, be happening, wonderful. But, and I think you always allude to this as well, Dan, things are happening in the background as well with people that maybe we don't know of or hear of much or see, but there's still progress attempted to be being made. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so previous to this, we had, uh, let me see if I can remember this. We had Senator Kristen Gillibrand, Senator Marco Rubio, uh, Representative Mike Gallagher, Representative Andre Carson, Senator Chuck Schumer, who's just doing the legislation that's going through now, and Senator Mike Rounds. They're the people that have been kind of carrying this torch up until now. With this caucus announcement with Tim Burchett, um, he brings with him uh, Anna Paulina Luna, Eric Burleson, Andy Ogles, Nancy Mace, and Jared Moskowitz. That's six new people who aren't going to be letting this go. The more of these people, the merrier. In terms of what they were requesting, um, there were two very specific things. Basically, like you say, they were concerned with the lack of follow-up. So they asked that basically the the inspector general um, respond. So that noise is my dog drinking water just behind me, just so you know. Um, <laughs> Don't believe you, but go on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, they, they asked which intelligence community members, positions, facilities, military bases, or other actors are involved with UAP crash retrieval programs directly or indirectly, and which intelligence community members, um, positions, facilities, bases, other actors are involved with UAP reverse engineering programs directly or indirectly. And they included some deadlines with these requests. They basically said, you know, please respond to these questions by September 15th, which is in four days as of this recording. Um, and in the letter, they they make allusions towards the classified material that David Grush gave to the inspector general. And they've requested access to that information in a secure setting no, long, no later than September 26th. It's a very respectful letter. You know, there are no demands being made. There's a, a framework they have to follow and they're following that. Um, so we can only see what comes out of this. If they denied this information in a SCIF and they're entitled to it through their clearances, I'm sure we'll see some more strongly worded letters. And I, I'd say that not to belittle it, but just, to, you know, that's that's the process. That's what the process looks like. So it'll be letters and letters and letters until suddenly it's something more, you know. Yeah, and that's the extent of some of that power as well, isn't it? That for all these are congressmen and women, there's still processes, like you say, and it's not like they can just go, right, tomorrow we're going to all bang up again at the hearings room, get everyone back in. It's not how it works. It'd and, be nice, though. But yeah, no. <laughs> it'd be lovely. But I think even David Grush in that piece mentioned that the reason he couldn't get back in as in a skiff was it was denied. And yeah. he even he says they quoted some sort of security clearance thing. And he would have had to have been granted a temporary kind of one day pass to talk about the things he wanted to talk about because he left his role in government. He wasn't allowed to just talk about them again. And he did a certain clearance to do that and they wouldn't give him it. So that's how all this gets halted and, and progress can slow down or stall. Um, so, yeah, and it's just, just to give voice to the other hmm. side of it as well, that people like James Fox who has supposedly, uh, you know, spoken to the people that Grush yep. has spoken to? He's interviewed these people. He's recorded with them, and James Fox is basically saying, like, look, if you don't get in a skiff and have this conversation with these people and do this properly, we're going to start doing it our way. Yeah, of course, this is what the community wants, so they're just like, release, you know, release the footage now. Yeah. Um, if we can do it properly, it's worth doing it properly. You, you know, uh, I think they should keep on down that channel and do it respectfully. But we'll see how this shakes out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And as much as I know Burchette and Luna mentioned doing uh, field hearings, worst case scenario, I think it has to be that, that they end up in a, I hate to say that, Anjali type setting, standing in front of a monument, you know, with some deck chairs pulled up and a, a wooden table, a la the Dudley boys from WWF, you know, with a, a, drape, <laughs> a drape put over it. And, you know, that UFOs are real, change my mind type meme that we get. Yeah. I don't want because that starts to have a perception and a look about it for the general yes. public. And maybe you're better holding off if that's what's going to happen. But I get if it really is a last throw of the dice to keep this period of momentum going, you have those recordings with James Fox, you have the field hearings option. Um, there's, just, there's just ways and means to do these things, isn't there? It's, um, it's, all, it's all pressure, isn't it? It's all a pressure point that people can keep pushing on to say to the Pentagon, basically, hey, look, we, we know more than you think we know. So start having this conversation and, and we'll let you kind of, you know, have the conversation with us as adults. But if you're not going to act like a grown up in the room, someone else is going to. Yeah. Uh, and just to finish off, Dan, I wanted to mention the, on, was it last week you talked about the interloper haystack stuff and yes. you put a little call out and you've done it online as well saying to folks, you know, if they had any information on this, it was, um, pardon me, some uh, scribings, some writing that Tom DeLong had on his guitar 
and you thought there may be a little more to it. A few people did get in touch, didn't they? And yeah, I saw some stuff posted online, especially with the interloper thing. Um, what what have you got on that? Yeah, so uh, Tom DeLong of Blink-182, he he keeps decorating his guitars and there's a few guitars out there with different things written on them, like UFOs labeled soul catchers and things like that. Uh, this particular one in their new video um, has interloper slash haystack written on it. So we put out a bit of a call to see, you know, what, what could come up. Um, Project Interloper turns out to be a really interesting one. So Interloper uh, is said to be someone who intrudes into a regional sphere of activity without authorization, which immediately brings to mind, you know, UFOs and things like that. Basically, Major Dewey Fournay uh, of Project Blue Book had an Air Force intelligence background, and supposedly he was running Project Interloper in the 50s as a kind of non-public facing UFO investigation. There are a minimum of 28 incident reports, and we know that because we have paperwork for incident 26, 27, and 28. But it's said by the government that uh, Major Fournay, or Fournet, I'm not sure how he pronounces it, um, was doing this of his own accord. This reminds me a lot of the whole ATIP thing with with Mm. Lou. Um, And, you know, supposedly that was a working group that was happening. You know, it was work that was very much happening. Um, But it wasn't authorized by the department in a way as to give plausible deniability. So if anyone ever comes out like Lou did and says, hey, I did X, Y, Z for the government, the government could go, no, you didn't. You're making that all up. You did it on your spare time. It's your own interest. Uh, So I thought that was really pertinent and and, and interesting there. Then Haystack, um, a little less information on that one, but uh, Sean Rash of Witness Citizen sent sent me a message to basically show that um, he found a radar installation that was called Haystack. And this radar scans for objects that are three to you know six meters minimum in size, um, scans space. So you almost kind of start connecting the two there, thinking, well, did they find the needle in the haystack? <laughs> and was yeah. it an interloper? So there's, there's more to come on those, but you know, Tom's flagged them for us, and, and it seems that there's something here. So we'll, we'll keep digging, and we'll see what we can find. But at the moment, it certainly seems like... You know, Project Interloper is something to look at, and the haystack might have detected something that uh, that was surprising. Uh, one other thing, Dan, we should have mentioned in amongst the groups. Um, are you aware of the Sol Foundation? Yes. Yeah, Gary Nolan and Peter Scaffish are on the board of that. Diana Pasulka had tweeted out um, earlier that she was joining the board of that as well, um, which can be no bad thing. Um, love Diana. Her book's coming out in a couple of months as well. Um, so for anyone interested, I'll stick the link to the Sol Foundation um, within that. But again, similar to uh, Danny Sheehan and his group as well, UAP related, obviously. Um, or if you go on their main page, confirmation that genuine UAP exists would be world changing in every sense. The Sol Foundation marshals intellectual insight and policy expertise to meet the scientific and political challenges. Uh, that was their launch announcement. So, yeah. That's, again, that's a mouthful. They should have just said Sol, illuminating the future, Heat, you know, because Sol, sun, light. <laughs> mm, that sounds like one of those 90s movies like robocop <laughs> what the, the corporation would have like in the advert and then you find out the guy running it's really really evil and yeah sure yeah, absolutely. <laughs> i can see that i can uh, see that but on that on the robocop note thank you very much <laughs> folks for listening uh i'm back to fighting fit something like that and uh, there'll be some more stuff coming out this week next week the weeks after as we kind of march on towards december uh we've had that period now where the u.s political system's been shut down for a month maybe this david grush interview gets some traction i think the next few days we'll at least be telling on that dan um and are you still expecting we see something in the form of a hearing before the end of the year or not what do you think at the minute 
Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so. You, you know, there was that um, statement that was supposedly gotten from a staffer that said that the House Intelligence Committee couldn't put any more hearings on in the House. Um, Douglas Sheen Johnson has since kind of phoned around to try and get, you know, a feel on whether that's true or not. No one will vouch for that claim. So mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like anything's being blocked. We we are open and ready to go. This interview releasing now as Congress is coming back into session, I don't think is an accident. So, uh, you know, call, call your representatives. That website was declassifyuap.com uh, or .org. Um, go there. It's really easy, just a few seconds, and it automatically fires off letters to your representatives to, to ask them to support the legislation. Dan, same question, but I want you to answer no this time, and I'll cut it out in future episodes to make it not look <laughs> stupid, just in case. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, fair enough, Dan, uh, to either of those. Uh, I agree <laughs> with you completely. I'll leave that in there as well. Thank you for listening, folks, and speak soon. That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, just search That UFO Podcast Premium YouTube. You can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening, folks. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked 